Hi, and welcome to the Sales Enablement Pro Podcast. I am Shauna Simawang. Sales enablement is a constantly evolving space, and we're here to help professionals stay up to date on the latest trends and best practices so that they can be more effective in their jobs. Today, I'm excited to have Dan Rainbolt join us. Dan, I would love for you to introduce yourself and your background to our audience. Sure. Thanks, Shauna. I have been in sales my entire career, ever since graduating from college. So if you met me on an airplane and asked me what I did for a living, I'd say sales and sales management. However, I had the opportunity years ago to go into sales training, it was called at the time, which I did. I then, through a series of promotions with the company called Paytech at the time, was able to go back into sales leadership, ended up managing about $350 million in revenue uh, and about 350 people. After we were purchased by a company called Windstream, I went back into sales enablement, it's now called, and have been doing that for about the past 10 years. So it's been a career of sales, selling, sales management, and sales training. I love that. And you've actually been referred to as a pioneer in sales training, and I'd love your opinion. What are sort of the core components of a successful training program? To be called a pioneer is quite generous, but I think the things that make a successful sales training program, and probably were some of the individuals that mentioned that or gave me good recommendations, really caught on to the fact that to me, when you teach selling, and everybody knows there's tons of sales training out there, hundreds and hundreds of books on selling, lots of methodologies, but I really like to teach selling as a systematic, almost scientific approach layered in with what I'll call some, you know, psychology of, of why people might do what they do or say what they say. And that's all designed to be reactive to what the salesperson does. And so I think what resonates with a lot of the people that I've taught over the years is the fact that we break down the sales training into steps. I call them the three pillars. Every step has a goal. That would be the second pillar. And then you layer in different tactics and this is all designed. So your three pillars would be, you know, the step of the sale, the goal of that particular step, and then any type of tactics that you might deploy, I'll call it. And this is all designed to increase your probability of making a sale. But let me emphasize that when I teach selling, this is not about tricks and let's not confuse tactics with gimmicks. This is really about sound selling practices that are all designed to really try to operate in the best interest of the prospect. Because if you don't have that at heart, they're going to smell that insincerity on you. And this is why so many salespeople and sales training programs either aren't successful or get labeled, you know, kind of the old fashioned, not to denigrate them, but the used car sales approach. This is not about high pressure. This is all about trying to increase your probability of making a sale, but not doing it at the expense of your prospect. And actually, Shauna, done correctly, it should generate happy customers who then give you referrals, and then the machine starts to pick up momentum. I love that. I heard a panel that you were on recently. You know, while you may be a pioneer, I also think that you are very forward-leaning in a lot of the sales training 
space and its components. Because on the panel, you actually discussed nurturing consistent, continuous learning environments. And I, I feel like that's very cutting edge for the sales training space. So one, I'd love for you to explain to our audience, what's your perception on that? And how can sales enablement help reinforce key skills and knowledge for reps through continuous learning? Well, that's a great question. Boy, if I use the phrase nurturing consistent continuous learning environments, then that sounds pretty highbrow for me, but I like it. But to drive a consistent learning environment, and your your question was really kind of centered around the reinforcement of key skills. The way you reinforce key skills is, is let's go back to that procedural method of teaching where the most important thing, the, the biggest test of any type of learning program, whether it's selling skills, product knowledge, system and process, is the application and the ability of the student to apply the knowledge. You know, this isn't theoretical. If it doesn't work in the field, if it doesn't give you the result, then it might as well just be left on a whiteboard in a classroom. So anything that you teach, and let's go back to the comment, I think, about being a pioneer or even, let's say, forward-leaning, it's, it's really about figuring out what your student is doing in the field and then coaching to that. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't use some kind of sports analogy here, I guess. So, you know, it's like it, you, if you practice a certain thing on the practice field, but you can't deploy it in a game time situation, or if it fails in a game time situation, which sometimes that's that's going to happen uh, because your opponent is reacting, of course, at the same time, um, then, you know, it probably wasn't effective education. So to me, the true test of the ability of any learning program is what kind of field results are you getting? And so then that speaks to the whole topics of, you know, metrics and tracking and that. But when it comes down to sales program effectiveness, to me, that comes down to, can you dissect or coach actual field sales calls, whether you're there in person as a coach, AKA a sales leader with your rep and the prospect, or if now with all the virtual meetings occurring, if you can break down a recorded call. So to me, all of the programs that are out there now that allow for uh, recording and practicing and role-playing within a LMS or a learning environment are great, but where the rubber meets the road, the true test of effectiveness is in the field. So if you can get real field data to break down, real game film, as I call it, uh, that's where you're really going to see the effectiveness of your programs. I think that's fantastic advice and love that we got to drill into the reinforcement component of that. Now, I'd love to go into the environment component, though. From your perspective, what role does the learning environment play in the success of sales training programs? And, and how can enablement practitioners help to nurture a really positive learning environment for their reps? The company that I was just most recently with is a great microcosm of your question. So when I came in, they did the traditional, okay, we fly people in for the traditional week long, quote, new hire training where, you know, lots of seasoned reps and even new people cue the eye roll, right? Oh, got to fly to corporate. 
got to be there Monday morning, you know, flying on Sunday, be there Monday morning at eight o'clock. We do, you know, Monday through Thursday from 8.30 a.m. or whatever till, you know, evening time, come back on Friday, maybe have half or three quarters of a day and then people fly back home. Well, you know, that becomes as companies grow and, you know, you're sitting in a three hour different time zone than I am and we're still in the United States. But if you're international, that becomes even more challenging. So to me, this is where if you were looking for a silver lining of COVID for training, let's say, this is where it occurred. It forced companies like mine at the time to examine that program, which when you really get down to it is terribly inefficient. And what I mean by that is just the, forget COVID, the pure nature of going into a classroom, sitting there all day after having flown in, and then maybe you go to dinner in the evening, uh, you have homework, you get back in the classroom. It's just overload. People reach their cognitive overload very quickly. Depending on the person, they can be overloaded by Monday at noon. Some people maybe last through Tuesday. So COVID forced us to really look at that and immediately transition everything to virtual. And we actually embraced it as a training department and found it to be more effective and more enjoyable for the audience. Now, don't get me wrong. To me, I love the face-to-face, in-person interaction that can occur. But when you look at the entire spectrum, meaning the full gamut of, you know, benefit and detriment, when you look at that week to two week long corporate new hire training, I come back to the word efficiency and say, look, it's just not that efficient. But if you now go virtual and you get set up with really good applications that allow good visual clarity, of a virtual classroom and you have, you know, anywhere from 15 to, you know, I'll say 50 attendees and you can all be on camera. You can break them into groups. You can use a variety of different things. Let's say you use a Slack. You can create different Slack channels for your groups to communicate and do question and answer in, and then you can do role plays, but you also still have to have that engagement. And so you create games, you know, we broke our trainings into teams and, we tried to make it fun. And, and since it's virtual, you know, we tried to do some stuff that was just maybe considered silly, but engaging, you know, one day you wear your, your craziest hat, you know, or you introduce us to your pet uh, that day or whatever it is, but you try to create a camaraderie on the virtual training. And because you're going into their environment, they have more of the ability to kind of do show and tell on stuff that is important to them. So you've got this real trade-off between the two environments where, yeah, that physical interaction in the classroom is nice, but when you look at the prototypical corporate training program, virtual can actually bring you so many more benefits. You can spread it out over time. You don't have as lengthy of class time, so you get better uh, cognitive participation because people can focus for a couple hours, then you take a break, and then, then let's say they're salespeople. They can go off and they can do prospecting or study on some of the other things that they have to do to do their job. And they're not tied up wall to wall for one to two weeks. You can spread it out. You get a lot more efficiency in a lot of ways. It's a much better training program. And we are finding that the students like it better. 
You don't have to, you know, worry about flights and planes and hotels and where you're sleeping and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of benefit to the new virtual learning environment when it's set up properly. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic answer and it makes a ton of sense. So I appreciate that. I, I want to shift gears a, a little bit in this podcast, because in addition to your sales enablement experience, as you mentioned in your introduction, you also have extensive experience as a sales leader. And I know a lot of sales enablement practitioners often need to partner very closely with their sales leaders to design and deliver a lot of these training programs. So I'd love to understand from you, what are some best practices around helping sales leaders achieve their core goals through training programs? So there's a couple things. The wonderful thing about learning how to sell and sell well is that you'll never be without the ability to generate income for yourself. And so I think there's a lot of benefit, at least to me personally, having been a salesperson, lived under a quota at times in my career, even being on straight commission, and then advancing up through sales leadership and getting larger and larger staffs. And, and like I said, to the point where it culminated in, you know, having, you know, hundreds of salespeople working for me. So the benefit there is that then when you transition that to the classroom, it gives you credibility. And a lot of corporate sales trainers, unfortunately, don't have that field experience. Now, this is not a knock on them. It's just the way of the world. And I think many companies are missing out on a particular element of taking successful salespeople and finding the ones that really enjoy coaching and training others and affording them an opportunity to be in sales enablement or sales training. What usually happens, Shauna, just to be real here, is that you know trainers don't make as much money as sales leaders and salespeople. So you have to be willing to pay a little bit more to get those people that love to do that. But I think the value is they have that field experience. They've done it before. They've walked the walk. And when they step in front of the classroom, it gives them that all-important credibility. I think that's one component. The second component that you ask about is then how does this allow you to partner with the sales leaders? Well, look, when sales leaders found out that I manage teams, they again that credibility uh, was built in and look you have to manage this successfully you know you could be really bad at something and so therefore it doesn't translate but if you've had a good track record that gives you the credibility they start to listen and open their minds more and when you show them a program that's duplicatable and it's combined with coaching and they're seeing you know a mediocre salesperson increase their metrics move up from 70% of quota to 100%, 110%. It just builds momentum and it allows the, the programs in and of itself to be more received. Therefore, they're more used. When they're used, they're better results in the field. And that's what it's all about. But yeah, let's be real. Most sales leaders are looking at one thing and so are their managers. Did you make your number? You know, month in and month out, year in and year out, quarter in and quarter out, are you consistently making your number? And, and I think that that's, you know, that's, that's the ultimate metric is how are you doing with respect to your quota? Yep, I couldn't agree more. That definitely is the ultimate end goal. Now, 
What are some of best practices that you might have then when it comes to gaining kind of buy-in for enablement programs, though, from executive stakeholders? Because obviously they're critical to have as business partners in the organization as well. Great question. And I'm going to give you an unusual answer. You know, one of the things I've always tried to do is try to continue to learn, to continue to to evolve my ideas, to continue to listen to other ideas. And within the past year, if you'd have asked me that question a year ago, I'd have said, oh, you have to have absolute buy-in from the executive level right down to your entire program and every detail of it. And then I was exposed to a philosophy from a senior vice president of sales that said, you know what? I want buy-in from the bottom up. He goes, you know, yeah, I want to support your program. But for me, I'm going to support your program if the reps are loving the program, if they're getting results, then their managers are going to buy in and they're starting, they're going to start to be looking at going, Hey, what's Susie doing that the others aren't doing? And Susie's like, Oh, well, I follow this procedure and I do this and I use these tactics and these steps. And, you know, I learned this from the sales trainer and then I have them on calls and we do coaching afterwards and they break down my, my calls with me. Suddenly the manager's going to go, okay, I want Joey and Tom and Claire doing all that too. And so it starts to create this groundswell from the bottom up that other people are starting to catch on and they want to duplicate that success. When that filters up, the executives, again, they're going to be fine as long as you're making your number, doing it ethically, doing it professionally, that your customers are happy. So it's, it was an interesting philosophy to me that, you know, this senior vice president was saying, look, for me, it's fine, but he goes, I'm really not on sales calls. And so I want the buy-in from the bottom up. And I listened to that and it really started to kind of realign my thinking. So look, I've seen a lot of programs fail where the executives went out and bought a program, hired a high price consulting firm to come in. Well, they did this at the company I worked at prior to me coming in and it, and it actually did fail. They went out and spent a ton of money on a program and it just did not catch on. The sales people didn't buy in. They flew trainers all around the world and trained on this and, and it, it, just, it just didn't get the buy-in. So even though the executives said, oh, this looks like a great program and purchased it and invested in it, they couldn't force it downstream. And I think that's a very interesting concept is you can't force stuff downstream. And so if you can, if you really want to build a program, make sure that your reps that are going to use the program buy in before the executives go spend all the money on it. Because if you can get the field working and using the program, which is the most important thing in purchasing or buying any type of program or any type of internal sales enablement program or sales training program, then you're going to have success. You're not always going to have success just because you have executive buy-in from the top. If your people aren't finding it usable, duplicatable, coachable in the field. And that's a very, very important distinction. 
I love that piece of advice, Dan. It is very solid. And I love the notion of thinking about bottom up buy-in. That's fantastic. Now, I know we're almost at time. I've learned a ton of things from you throughout this podcast. I want to close on something that you had also mentioned just a moment ago, the importance of, you know, helping to drive revenue growth. Now, you specifically call this out, even on your profile on LinkedIn, that, that you help do so through education and development of salespeople. People. So I'd love in closing um, for our audience, some advice on how sales enablement practitioners can tie their efforts into revenue impact. You know, you, you, you take your sales force, you look at, you know, everybody's doing forecasting and everybody's trying to create more and more metrics to be able to evaluate their salespeople. But the one thing that continues to, I think, be missing is the grassroots game film, I'll call it again, it's worth repeating, approach to seeing how individual sales reps sell. So you get people on their appointments, listening in, you listen to actual, not role play, I'm talking actual prospect calls. I think one of the things that I never let go of that made me successful as a sales leader is when I went into my markets, I wanted to do one thing. I wanted to run real sales appointments with my regional director and one of their reps with prospects, not happy, satisfied current customers. Those are important, right? When retention's involved, especially in the, the fields I've been in, which is, you know, SaaS and telecom. And, you know, that recurring revenue is, is what makes all the efforts worthwhile. But I wanted to be on the new prospect calls because that's where salesperson performance can make a difference. So yeah, I went on the customer retention calls with account management, but I, every market I went in, I wanted to be on a call belly to belly with the rep and their manager. And when we were done, we would go get a cup of coffee and we would sit down and we would start with the rep and say, how'd you do, what could you do better? Then we'd go to the manager. How do you think they did? What would, should they, what could they do better? And then they would go to me as the, 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 I'll say head coach. And we would go through it and we would break it down. And that grassroots ability to look into the performance of an individual will bring up the whole performance of the team. If that manager takes those tidbits and starts to use that with all their people, whether they have a staff of three, five, 10, whatever. And now with technology, you can accelerate that because you can get, you know, recorded calls, you can get transcriptions of calls. And, and so that grassroots coaching is what will ultimately drive revenue growth, because sometimes the difference between making your number that month or that quarter is the difference between one or two big deals. And that difference is often totally reliant on what that salesperson said and did throughout that sale. So I think that the biggest thing to go back and tie sales enablement practices to revenue impact is to drive a systematic approach to selling that's duplicatable, replicable with every rep, resonating with them and coachable in the field. And that that in and of itself is then going to be able to drive up that primary metric of revenue uh, increase. You know, and, and it starts with all the steps, you know, whether it's prospecting, you're increasing your appointment rate, whether it's increasing your second ability to get that next appointment, 
because all the appointments I've been on are never a one call close. Some of the very technical applications we've sold sometimes take anywhere from six to 18 months to persuade a customer to come over and, and give your company a try. So I think those are significant. Again, Dan, thank you so much for the fantastic advice on this podcast. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. To our audience, thanks for listening. For more insights, tips, and expertise from sales enablement leaders, visit salesenablement.pro. If there's something you'd like to share or a topic you'd like to learn more about, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you.